It's really good to be with you guys this morning as we continue in our Exodus series. Exodus 19 is a passage, as we just kind of read it in isolation, we go, what, what is happening there? But what's happening in Exodus 19 really is amazing. Because you have to think about it from the perspective of the Israelite. Who has not had, at this point in time, an encounter with God as they have had. They have not seen the Lord's presence in this way. They haven't seen the thunder and the lightning. Moses had spoken with the Lord, but they had not been able to hear it in the same way. And what we're about to get into, the nation's about to go into this this part of their life where they're entering into what we would call the Mosaic Covenant. The way God expects his nation to interact with him and through obedience, there's blessing, and through disobedience, there's cursing. All of this is in Exodus 19, as, as the Lord is about to reveal more of his ways to his people. Because you have to think about it, where are they headed? They're headed to a land, the land that God will show them. They're headed to the space God is going to give them, and, and he has a way that he wants them to walk a way that he wants them to serve, a way that they, the Israelites, can be a light for the nations, a way that they can bless the world through living in the ways their God would want them to live. That's that's where Exodus is moving. In fact, Exodus is getting us, it ends with God's presence with his people in the tabernacle. And so we're moving to this God's giving his people a way to to walk and a way to live. And then we get to God being with his people in a way that he has not been. And and has ministers and servants and there's priests and there's tribes. and, And they all operate in a way they had not operated. And so we we enter into today's passage not just going, wow, that's kind of crazy. But recognizing that God is establishing for his people a way that he wants them to walk. It's incredibly gracious, isn't it? It, I think it's incredibly gracious of God to give the law. It's incredibly gracious of God not to just stand. Because some people, maybe even in this room, just have this view of God as this distant guy who is relatively unconcerned with how life goes on down here. But what do we have in Exodus 19... But God descending, and then in 20, God giving, what we call the Ten Commandments, but he begins to give the law to the people so that they might understand how to more fully walk in his ways. He doesn't doesn't make himself elusive. That's one of the great things about God as as we just consider where we are in this passage. God, God doesn't hide from us. He doesn't hide from us. He, he, actually, he actually makes his ways known, right? This is, this is not like a marriage where your spouse might say to you, well, if you don't know, I'm not going to tell you. <clears throat> the Lord doesn't say that. He doesn't say that. He's like, no, you, you should know, and I will tell you. And then you won't do it, and I'll tell you again. Then you won't do it, and I'll tell you again. And it's interesting because even if you're reading with us in our reading plan right now, and we're in Jeremiah is where our, our reading plan currently has us, what does the Lord use as an illustration between him and his people but marriage? 
And he's using this illustration of how they've broken a covenant. Right? All the prophets seem to like to use this language of, of a marriage commitment. In fact, the New Testament does the same thing, right? With the relationship between Christ and his church. As they use this marital image to try and explain for us, people with very limited minds, what this dynamic is like. Exodus 19. Thank you, Derek, for reading it. Uh, for, for, for we've tried to have readers so we can just hear the whole passage. Some of these passages are really long. And, and so if I read, I don't want to just be a commentary for you. Or I'm like, wow, you could read a commentary. I can just give you commentaries if you want that. We could all just sit here on a Sunday and read commentaries. So I want to hear the passage and go, what is happening here, God? And what implications does that have for us? Because my guess for you, let me, let me, I don't even have to pull the room. You ever seen thunder and lightning and a thick cloud and the voice of God coming from it? You ever seen a mountain rumbling? Uh, I, maybe you have. I don't think you have. Right? If, if the Lord returns in our lifetime, that's when we get to see it. We haven't seen it. At the same time, you know, we, we have the Spirit of God, and we relate to God in a, in a different way through the new covenant and the person of Jesus. And so we look at Exodus 19, and we go, uh, what? Like, that's crazy. Never seen it. Well, before we get into it, there's something about, there's just, there are many things about me that are persnickety, just so you know, like weird, quirky. I have a lot of quirks. Um, one of them is that you show up to a meeting prepared. That means like, like, like for like, we have an elder meeting, right? So we'll have our elders meeting. It's usually on Thursdays, about twice a month, sometimes three times a month. And I have this like personal goal to get the agenda of the meeting to everybody who needs it by Monday, right? So you have Monday to Tuesday, Tuesday to Wednesday, and Wednesday to Thursday to not read it. But at least you have, you have the ability to not read it, right? I don't want to give an agenda to somebody like the moment before and say, hey, read it and come really ready to prepare. So, right, like I just want people to come to meetings prepared. When we gather on Sundays, it's really hard to show up on time and glad, like, I'm, you, you might get one of those things. And usually it's on time. We don't just, just like, on time and cranky. Like, that's what you're going to get. get. You get to pick. But what are we doing when we get into this space? What are we doing? We're worshiping our God. Do you think that, that should demand some type of preparation? Aside from just waking up and hoping we can get there on time? You know, maybe that, 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 that requires some type of preparation. I have this little link I use sometimes. It's like people can schedule time with me. And they go, hey, let's meet. And I, I hate the hey, let's meet. Because it just kind of turns into this ping pong of like picking. Well, when can you meet? I can't meet then. And so I just have a link where it's like, hey, here are the times I'm available. Pick one. Um, and I'll, I'll be there. But one of the things that it has is, what is this meeting about? Because I hate going in blind. In fact, one of the questions that I asked one time to somebody, this was years back. Maybe it was 10 years ago, 8 years ago. Uh, but I had just kind of gotten into a new role at my church, and somebody wanted to meet with me. Now, here I am in my 20-somethings. This guy's 40-somethings, I think. <laughs> one of the first questions I asked was, is this an ambush? You can tell how much I trust church members. <laughs> it, because, I, like, I just I had this thing where, like, beware of the first person who wants to meet with you. He just, like... Because they kind of want to set your understanding of how a place is. 
Hey, just so you know, like, these people are cool, and these people aren't cool, and do this, and do that. So, like, I'm just pretty guarded when I show up to this place. I was like, I'm happy to meet with you guys. I just don't know if I'm going to get, like, ambushed. Are you going to come and ask me all these questions about church life that I don't know the answer to? And then you're going to go tell your friends I look stupid. Like, what, what is it? Oh, no, 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 it's not that. I was like, okay, I'll be there. I'll be there. I don't like showing up unprepared. I don't like when people show up unprepared. Now, think about Exodus 19. The encounter of encounters is about to happen. I mean, they have been brought out of the land of Egypt. God has done it miraculously. What have we seen to this point? Right, the fighting with the Amalekites, and, and, and when Moses' hands were raised, the people prevailed, and when they dropped, they did not prevail, but, but they did beat the Amalekites. Before that, what do we have? These grumblings. Oh, I don't like this water, or I can't drink this water, or I want different kind of food, or whatever else, right? It's just like your house every day. You're like, I'm not this hidden a restaurant. But what does God still do when the people grumble but provide for them? Even in his frustration, even in his anger, he provides for them. God provided advice to Moses just last week in our Exodus 18 through his father-in-law. You think the Lord can't use others in our lives to help us do what we do? That like if we just kind of get us in a room with a flashlight in our Bible under like a, you know, a sleeping bag, like we're going to have everything? No, God built us to need one another. So God provides a way for the nation to walk and for Moses to walk while they're in this period of time. And then we get to chapter 19. And the nation of Egypt has seen God's power in ways that they wish they wouldn't. Well, now the nation of Israel is seeing God's power and the consequence they will get if they don't obey. You're going to die, right? Like that's, that's what it's like. You will die if you do this wrong. Well, to this point, all, they have been done, all that's been done for them is to provide for them. Remember the land of Goshen. Everything bad happened everywhere but in Goshen. And now the Lord is explaining to his people what interacting with him inappropriately will be like. How did God expect his nation to encounter him? How did he expect his nation to encounter him as he is about to present the law? That is what Exodus 19 gives us. And you can follow this, 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 this kind of unfolding of the passage. It works rather easily is maybe the wrong word. But the flow makes sense when you begin to see what is going on in the passage. That first paragraph is, as the Lord is about to, to speak his law to his people, what does God do? And this is constant, constant in the book of Exodus. But he reminds them of the work that he has done. He reminds them of the work that he has done. Verse 4, chapter 19, verse 4. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. He's about to enter into this. You have seen what I did to your enemies 
And I bore you on eagle's wings, training you how to fly, right? Letting you be your own. And he, you might know the song, like, raise you up. Bore you on eagle's wings, and I brought you to myself. What is that? It's a constant reminder of God's faithfulness to his people. Even before we get to the consequences of you're going to die, <laughs> you could if you step on the mountain wrong. It's look what I've done for you. Look what I've done for you. And so he gives this reminder right as he goes into the first part of verse 5 where he gives this expectation of what he wants. Again, that's very nice to the Lord, very gracious to the Lord to say, this is what I expect from you. Now, therefore, now, therefore, you've seen what I've done for you. If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. And we're going to get to second half and six just, just in a moment. But he gives the expectation. You've seen what I've done for you. Now, obey my voice. Why does he give the, remind them of who he is? Because if he were just to say, obey me, you know, why? Who are you? I'm the God who saved you. I'm the God who delivered you. I'm the God who brought you to myself. That's my resume. That's why when I ask you to obey and I expect you to obey, it's not just kind of something there in the dark. Where you have to go, okay, well, I guess so. And somebody goes, well, why are you doing that? And you're like, I don't know. It just seems like the right thing to do, right? No, there's a reason. There's a reason. And the reason is not just because I said so like we gave his parents. It's because I'm me. That's the Lord's reason. Because I'm me. <laughs> because I did this. Because I brought you out. I delivered you. I did things for you no one else would be able to do. And I've brought you to myself. That's why you listen. Do you think that I'm out to get you? To hurt you? To harm you? No. So obey my voice and keep my covenant. And he's about to reveal in great detail the way that he wants his nation to walk. And he gives the, the result of doing this in the second half of five and six. If you do these things, you'll be my treasured possession among all the peoples. For all the earth is mine and you will be the jewel and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you shall speak to the people of Israel. This is the Lord speaking to Moses. So if you keep my covenant, you walk in my ways, you'll be my possession for all peoples. All the earth is mine. So God is giving both the, the reason to listen to him and the results of listening to him. And what do we see in verse 8? Probably the same thing I would do. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. 
He hadn't even spoken at all yet. Right? Like, but we're in. We're, we're going to do it. Now, I don't, I, I'm not going to harp too hard on that because we do the same thing. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to assume that this comes from a place of, like, of desire, right? Very often we are speaking, when we're speaking about kind of who we want to be, we're speaking totally aspirationally, <clears throat> right? Like, we're saying things about ourselves. We're trying to pump ourselves up and go, man, yes, we're going to do it. We're going to get it done. I'm going to be there. I'm going sh- to be there early, Lord. I'm going to be there early. And then, like, the alarm goes off. And you're like, what am I getting up for? I don't even remember. Snooze, right? Like, and so there's this great anticipation that, that, yes, yes, we will. We've seen what you will do, and we are going to do it. And this is the cycle of the experience of people who walk with God, right? A significant overestimation of our own ability and a total underestimation on what God actually will demand, right? Like, so, so we, we go, I can do this. I can do this. Yes, whatever you need. I'm going to do it, Lord. I'm in. I mean, this is like Peter. Think about Peter talking to Jesus. I will never forsake you. Never. How dare you think I do that? And Jesus is just like, bro, you don't have 12 hours. Right? Like, and you're going to be running and wishing you had never met me. Start the clock. Like, like, like you know, like, like, like that's, that, that's his response. So, so this is something we're we are incredibly familiar with. This way of speaking to God with this joyful self-confidence that we're going to get it done without really understanding what it means to walk with God. Now, what does that do If we stay in that position, this is just a warning for me and a warning for us. When we try to overestimate our own capacity, underestimate who God is and what he actually demands, it's going to make us either a legalist or a liar. And the reason it does that is it makes us a legalist in this way. We define what God wants in such a way that we can actually ascend to it. Right? So, so, so we become the legalists and go, oh, yes, I'll do anything you say. You're like, well, what do I say? You're like, uh, just be nice to people, smile sometimes, give a little bit of money. That's, what, that's, that's it. Right? So we kind of reduce the demands of God in order to be able to attain them so we feel better about ourselves. But what are we actually doing when that happens? Is we totally disregard the fact that he is holy and we diminish the power of his grace because we assume that like, his grace isn't that great. Like, I only need grace for like these areas. I got most of this stuff together, God. I only need it over here. So when we become the legalist, we go, oh yeah, I, I, we're going to do everything you say. Everything you say. Well, we can become the legalist. The legalist who reduces the demands of God, reduces the expectation of God, so that we feel as if we can ascend to them, that we can get them done well. Right? We become, in a sense, the rich young ruler. We can be zealous to do a lot. I don't think the rich young ruler was some guy who was unhappy to follow the law. I don't think he was some guy who was sitting around sad all day. It's when the Lord spoke to him in a way that actually confronted his idolatry that he went away sad. Right? This guy who said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he goes, well, you know the commandments. He goes, I do that all. I do that all. 
And he goes, okay, then sell everything and give it to the poor. Ooh, that too? Because Jesus knew how to speak to this man in a way that confronted the idol. Right? The legalist who can say, I, I, do, I do that. I do that. What else? I do that. The other thing that makes us is the liar. <clears throat> and what I mean by that is we don't actually admit how bad we are. Because if I admit how bad I am, then well, I don't look as good. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty simple. If I admit to you how bad I am, then you think less of me. And I have enough people who think less of me. So when we actually overestimate ourselves and underestimate who God is, it results in us being a legalist or a liar. This is why what happens in our lives, what happens in these moments, when we hear the expectations of God, which he's about to bring, we have to go back and remember what God said to Israel. What did he say, what did he say to the nation? Remember what I've done and how I brought you to myself. Remember that I brought you to myself. That removes any modicum of self-confidence that we should have. Because he's saying to this nation, you didn't get here on your own. You didn't save yourself from Egypt. You didn't, you didn't do anything. I did it. So how does something like that then apply to us, right? We have Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We, we have somebody who has saved us from our sins, from the, the, the fear of being outed by God. He goes, no, 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 I already know you. I already know you. Through faith in my son, you can have life. Be totally forgiven. Right? Well, when we do that, it reduces all these feelings. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm going to get it. No problem. We have to remember that God is still the one who is empowering us now through his spirit to do what he demands. That he is the one who has, he is the one who has changed us, constitutionally changed us in the giving of his spirit that we might walk in his ways. Next week and the week after, we're going to have two sermons on the law. Why the law? What's going on here? Why does Paul speak so well of the law? At the same time, he'll talk about it negatively in certain portions. And then sometimes he's like, I, yeah, he just says like, he does it. He does it. And there's some passages in the Bible that I don't think we read sometimes, like, where it never really seems like Paul just tells people, Paul never instructs a Jewish believer not to follow the law. Do you know that? He never says to a Jewish believer, hey, no, never do that. In fact, Acts 21 shows us. Acts 21 shows us that James goes to Paul, and this is like after the third missionary journey, and he's like, hey, there's some believers here who are zealous for the law, and they're hearing what you're teaching Gentiles, and they think that you're going to teach that here too. So they actually ask him to put himself under a vow and go with these people and pay their ways so that the Jewish believers who are there don't, realize that he's not, he's not teaching something that he's really not. He's teaching it to Gentiles. So Paul was somebody who did love the law of God. And so we're going to get into the next two weeks just discussions about how, does, how do we relate to this thing. But a key part for us is the recognition that through Christ we have the Spirit and what is written on us 
actually empowers us to live as God would have us live through the finished work of Jesus. That we should actually be more zealous to obey, more glad to do what God says, but at the same time, always recognizing that it was God who brought us to himself. That that disarms any self-confidence and ability to brag that we think we have. It renders it useless because you have to go back to verse 4 and see what he says to that nation. You saw what I've done and how I brought you to myself. And not only that, think about the Israelite perspective. What are we in, in chapter like 2, 3, 4? Like as we see this, what is God reminding even that nation in that space and time of? I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I was concerned about you before you even existed. I was concerned about you and what would happen through you and how people would come to know me through you before there was a you. And so even in Exodus, God is reminding the nation, you're a part of my plan. I'm not a part of your plan. You're a part of my plan. And then look, at what that goofy man Peter says, using even this passage right here to a group of believers in the Lord Jesus. 1 Peter 2.9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Again, who did it? He did it. What do we do? Talk about it. We talk about it. Because he has changed us. You are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people for his own possession so that you may proclaim the one who calls you out of darkness and into his light. Again, it's a work of God. It changes us to declare the goodness of God. So there's the remembering of what God has done. That is why every week we go to the Lord's table. Like the ultimate reminder that we didn't do it. That we didn't do it. That Jesus did something for us. That he is changing us. So in that first paragraph, the Lord is reminding the people. And then the Lord gives certain expectations of purity as he's about to come and reveal himself through the law. He asked Israel to purify themselves both in clothing and in their marital relationships. I'm going to read second half of 9 to 15. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said, go to the people, consecrate them, which just means set them aside. Let, let, Let them be seen as different. Today and tomorrow, let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. No one's going to be questioning. And you shall set limits for the people 
all around saying, take care not to go up into the mountain or to touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot, whether beast or man, he shall not live. You hear that? Don't even touch the person who did this. Just see to it that they die. When the trumpet sounds, a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down the mountain to the people, uh, consecrated the people. They washed their garments, and he said, be ready for the third day. Don't go near a woman. That's not because there's something wrong with women. think Think about David and Bathsheba. And when he realizes, David, this king, realizes that he has had an affair and it might... It's going to go badly for him. What does he do but call Bathsheba's husband back from the field and try to get him to be with his wife so that there can be at least some curiosity on the paternity, right? And what does Uriah do? My people are fighting. I have no time to to live like this. We're at war. And so, no. So what does David do? He says, put your eye on the front lines and then retreat so he can die. So when Moses gives this, he's just saying, there are parts of preparing to meet with God that you just don't want to be caught up with any other part of life. You just need to be caught up with preparing to meet God. And the consequences of doing it wrong, it's your life. The consequences of doing it wrong, your life. Now, as I said, we, we haven't had this type of experience. I haven't, you haven't, we haven't, like, look, you know, I can, I can touch the mountain all day. I'm not going to die. And so we look at this and we go, why, God? We have to remember, God is always presenting to us his holiness and the consequences of what happens if you cross him. His holiness, his total and utter set-apartness, that he is different from us from the beginning. Even as you read Genesis chapter 1, and you read this phrase, in the beginning, God created. So who was there in the beginning? God. The uncreated, standing apart, different than you, different than me. God. So there's two two things here. Maybe three. I might add one impromptu. Thing number one is to realize that when God sets the parameters for how we are to meet with him, that he doesn't do it for no reason. What is he instructing the nation in this moment but to realize how serious he is about what he expects of his people? Walk in my ways. And then what does he do? Here are some ways right now that this is going to go. And if you don't do it, you die. He just said, though, so walk in my ways. And they just said, we're going to do everything you say. Okay, 
don't touch the mountain. Don't touch the mountain. That'll be the first one. Don't touch the mountain, but everyone's going to be able to come near it and hear me. So the first is to recognize that God gets to set the parameters. Not you, not me. He, he creates the rules for engagement. And what are they? Well, if you're sinful, you can't access him. He's about to reveal this whole sacrificial system, actually, to demonstrate the right ways to be able to engage with him. And only certain people can do certain things at certain times and in certain ways. And so if you're sinful, you can't access him. That's the first thing that we see. And that it took three days of preparation, two days of preparation, he shows up on the third, to be prepared to meet with him. That that's what your life is about for those two days. You'll hear him on the third. So the first is to recognize that God sets the parameters for meeting. But what has God done for us? Let's think now. We have to think now. Like We are in a new era. Jesus has come. We have life in him, empowered by his spirit. It is different. God has defined the terms, and those terms for us are, if you have sin, you are sinful. I can say it like that. You're dead. You are spiritually dead. You have no access, you have no freedom, you have no hope. But through the work of Christ, you are consecrated, you are brought near, you are his, and you can actually engage him. So God sets the parameters. This is how you meet Jesus provides the way for us to escape death. He provides the way. Let's listen to how the Apostle Paul, a man who, again, zealous for the law, loved it. He loved it. He loved what it taught about his God. He loved to follow it. But listen to what he says in the book of Ephesians. He's writing to this church. He says, Of this gospel I was made a minister, the gospel of Jesus Christ, according to a gift of God's grace, which he'd given to me by the working of his power. Again, God's doing it, God's doing it, God's doing it, God's doing it. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, there's that proper estimation of who he is. This grace was given. Here's again what God does. To preach to the Gentiles, that's probably all of us, the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be now, now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he, realized, he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. Listen to this. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So when you read something like Exodus 19, but you go, well, what, what now? This is how you can think about it. 
I get complete and full access to my Heavenly Father through the work of His Son. Full access. I do not need to fear that I'm going to get stoned because I step on something wrong or I go somewhere I'm not supposed to go because I have access to my Father. That is what Jesus has given me. But at the same time, can you not read Exodus 19 and go, man, God is not someone to be crossed. He isn't someone to be crossed. And so you can have full access to him and at the same time be humbly submissive not arrogant, banging the door down, oh yeah, that's great. But as you know him and learn him and see his ways, what do you want to do? I want to honor you, God. The one who sets boundaries on the mountain, the one who reveals himself to people in thunder and in lightning, the one who speaks his ways and makes them known. I want to be that. So the reminder of the work that is done and the preparation to be with him, to meet with him, through us that comes through the finished work of Jesus. And then we see in 21 through 25 something that I just think is great, beautiful. Because as he's speaking about all these things that are going to happen and what's going to show up in this passage, all the thunder, all the lightning, The people cannot be in certain spaces. They cannot act in certain ways. But Moses is going to meet with God and the people are going to hear it. And what will happen is that they will recognize God's presence with them. It is terrifying. It is a terrifying presence. But what has God done What has God done? Remember, he he doesn't set an expectation and then hope you figure it out. He tells you. And so, so the Israelites should not be surprised by what comes. Why? Because God said what would come. You in this room, be a child or a mother or a father or a friend or a grandparent, whatever your role is in life, The one thing that we can't do when we stand before a holy God is to say, I didn't know. The scriptures put us without excuse. We can't plead ignorance. Why? Because God makes himself known. So though that time might have been terrifying, thunder and lightning and cloud and thunder, trumpet sound, all of that, though that might have been terrifying, God had prepared them. He had told them what to expect so that they might interact with him appropriately. Now, two things about this, which I just find glorious. I'm going to go back to these a couple of times in, in the next few weeks. God has given us a way to interact with him through his son. That is what we have. 
And what is that? Still, that is the Son of God coming to us, making himself known to us, revealing himself to us, just as the Lord has made himself known to his people. He has made himself known. He has made his expectations clear. Clear. This is better parenting than any of us can do. Because you know how it goes. At the end of a day, if a kid disobeys and you're tired, it's fine. It's fine. We'll get over it. Because we can't hold the line like God does. Because we're not holy like God is. We can't do that. And so what do we get but a gracious God in Exodus 19 revealing himself to his people and what he would expect for them to interact faithfully. And what do we have? We have the same thing. A gracious God revealing himself to his people so that we might walk in his ways. Well, what are his ways? He makes them clear to us. We have the scriptures. It's like we have them. You have to think, to the Israelite at that moment, at that space and time, they did not have the scriptures. They they didn't even have the Torah. It was being made in real time. We have God's revelation. How seriously do we take it? How joyfully do we read it? How honestly do we consider what it says and what that might mean for what happens when we get up on Monday? Can you think about this for a second? You have more revelation of God's character than the Israelite did on the mountain. You have more understanding of his ways and his plan and this final destination that he's moving this world to, you have more understanding of that than the one waiting to see what God might reveal. Because you already have it. You can skip ahead. Fast forward to the end. It ends well for the faithful, right? It ends well for those God has saved and called and brought to himself. It ends well. You can go all the way to the end. This nation had not yet experienced the Assyrian captivity of the northern kingdom and the Babylonian captivity and the destruction of the temple. Even at the time of Jesus, Jesus ministering on this earth, the temple that had been rebuilt, that's getting destroyed in 70 AD. We know that. It's crazy to think that you have more awareness of God's ways And you have access to God through his son. And you have been identified with God through his spirit. You have that. And yet, so often our Bibles collect dust. And we'd rather just argue about it than obey it. Why? Because we're the same type of person that Israelite was. Overconfident in who we are. Under aware of God's expectations. And just thinking we can wing it and get through the day. 
<laughs> that hasn't changed. I mean, just like, I, I, I love to think, I would love to think that I would be there in that moment and go, all of that you will say, I will do, but please, God, be gracious to me because I know that I'm weak. I know that I can't do it. I'd love to be thinking I would say that, but what am I going to be like? Yeah, we got this. We're going to do this. I know we're going to do it. No doubt. There is no doubt that I can pull this off. <laughs> Why? Because I forget. I'm going to forget in three hours that I need God. The great thing is that he doesn't forget that I'm his. He is not nearly as fickle as I am about what I need and what is best. So we have the revelation of God for us to understand his ways. We have the spirit of God which impresses those ways on our heart and enables us to live that out. And then there's this, the call of our Messiah. It happens in different ways in the scriptures, but this is one that I love because our Messiah wants us to learn from him. He wants us to walk with him. He wants us to know him. In the Gospel of Matthew, he says it like this, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and what? Learn from me. Learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The Messiah who came down, born as a man, came down and reveal to us God's ways. And then what does he do? What does he say? Come to me. Learn from me. Find rest in me. And that's the most freeing position to be in. <laughs> because then you read his demands and you rejoice that they're met in his son. And you can still with all the power of the spirit and you go, Lord, I just, I want to do this. And you're not speaking out both sides of your mouth. You read it and you see it and you know you won't do it. And you can still, as the Apostle Paul says, to this I labor and I toil, working with all his might, which so powerfully works within me. That we can strive and yearn to live a life for God and to show people God and to train them up to know God and to point them to Jesus time and time again because of his power that works in us, which goes right back to the beginning of Exodus 19. What does God say to his people? You've seen what I did. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and I brought you to myself. When we remember what God has done for us, we can do way more than we ever thought we could do for God. Because we stay rooted in what he's done for us. We don't feel 
fear that he's going to reject us one day. We don't worry that if we do something wrong, we're going to get zapped. We don't, we don't run when we mess up and say, I can't let God know. No, he's the only one who needs to know. Receive his grace and receive his mercy. Because why? He already does know. And that is gracious. So in the next two weeks, we're going to read about the law. But it's God's gracious expectation of how his people relate to him. It'll be a delight and a joy because we get to look to Jesus who teaches us how to walk in God's ways.